listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Sex and relationship advice you can use tonight. Hello, hello. This is Jess O'Reilly. I am Sex with Dr. Jess. And as usual, I am here to give you practical information grounded in science that you can put into practice today or tonight to make your relationship and sex life more fulfilling. And today's episode is brought to you by Desire Resorts, one of my favorite spots in the world to visit, one of my favorite spots to get naked on the beach and meet new friends from all around the world. So make sure you check them out at Desire Resorts. Now, I am really intrigued by today's topic, uh, because partly because I don't know a lot about it, and partly because it's just blowing up when you look at the numbers, the billions of dollars in this industry, and we are talking about the industry and research area of robot sex. That's right, robot sex. And I was reading about a new sex robot that costs about 15,000 US dollars, And this robot laughs at your jokes. It makes its own jokes. She remembers your favorite foods, knows your birthday. She can quote Shakespeare. And of course, the robot is fully equipped for sex in multiple holes. So I can't wait to learn more. To teach me, I'm going to be learning along with you. I have with me today, Neil MacArthur a Winnipeg-based sex researcher, director for the Center of Professional and Applied Ethics at the University of Manitoba. Hi there, Neil. Hi, Jess. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm really well. Now, Neil, you just came back from Paris and Prague, two cities of sex. Did you go to the Sex Machine Museum in Prague? I absolutely did go to the Sex Machine Museum. It was fascinating. It's nice to see the history of and how long the history is of people having sex with machines. Just how, how long have we been having sex with machines? Well, it's certainly, you certainly find lots of, I guess you could call them machines going back to the Victorian era. Um, there's probably things that might count earlier than that, but certainly for the last 150 years, we have been coming up with various kinds of contraptions. Originally, uh, doctors were very worried in the 19th century about women's inability to have orgasms. And so they started coming up with various technological solutions to do that. And uh, so there's been medical uh, technologies, and then of course also people just inventing things for pleasure. My goodness. Okay, so you, I have to ask, how did you get into robot sex? Uh, well, that's an interesting way of putting it. As a researcher, I got into uh, <laughs> robot sex. Um, as part of, I mean, I, I must say, I've always been interested in technology, and I've always been interested in sex, and I've always been interested in the ethical problems that each of those uh, fields raise, and this was a natural intersection. I, uh, you know, I don't think we know a lot about the future and what's coming in terms of technology. There's a lot of uncertainty, but I do think we know one thing for sure, and that is that very soon people will be having sex with robots. And so these are coming. And I just figured if these are going to happen, we should start thinking about what it means. 
All right, and you have a book coming out. Tell us about your book because it focuses on robot sex. It is called Robot Sex, uh, Social and Ethical Implications. It is being published by MIT Press. It's, a, it's, an, it's an academic book. It's, it's a book that's mostly aimed at researchers, but I think that the essays will be of interest to lots of different people. Uh, it's co-edited with uh, my colleague, John Danaher, who teaches in Ireland. And it brings together a number of different experts from all sorts of fields, social psychology, um, law, um, and philosophy, of course. And uh, so there's, there's just a, a economics. There's, there's a wide range of essays that I think, uh, I think a lot of people will find something of interest if they're at all interested in this topic. Now, you know, I never thought about this, Neil, but I realized that you are a researcher in the area of, of sex robots, but also a researcher and expert in the area of ethics. And the way these two fields intersect are rather interesting because I was reading some work by, are you familiar with Dr. Kathleen Richardson? Yes, yes. She's been very active uh, in, well, yeah, I mean, you can, yeah, you can maybe say more, but she's obviously someone who is not looking forward to uh, robots coming for sex. She will not be buying a sex robot. So she, she's the founder of the campaign against sex robots. And yeah. she claims that owning a sex rob robot is comparable to own, owning a slave and that, you know, individuals are buying the right to only care about themselves and that we're eroding human empathy and commodifying the female body. I mean, you obviously as a researcher have researched both sides of the aisle on this issue. Where, where do you stand on the ethics of robot sex? So I, one thing I want to be clear is that I don't think this is a one-way bet. I don't think that there are, you know, I'm not going to stand here and say there's nothing to be concerned about. I think that there are a lot of legitimate concerns, uh, some of which uh, Dr. Richardson has raised. I, however, think they're going to be on balance, on balance. I think they're going to be great. I think that um, they're going to be something that will, people will want, first of all. I think that they are something, they are things that will have a lot of positive upsides for people and for society. And so I think there are a lot of risks. I think there are a lot of challenges, but I'm going to say flat out that I think at the end of the day, we're going to be happy that this is happening. Yeah. And so my thought is that it's a robot. It's not a human being. Right. So I don't see the same ethical issues. I don't know how she can draw that parallel to slavery because it's just a machine, a machine that we build. Uh, like, where do you stand on that? Uh, yeah, I think there's a couple of things to say about that. First of all, I think we don't know where artificial intelligence is going. We don't know if robots are going to reach the point where they're genuinely conscious. Obviously, from Blade Runner on, there's a million movies that speculate about that. Uh, we don't ah. know. But, I, you know, I think we're a long way off. We're a long way off, at the very least, from the point at which uh, robots will be conscious and will have personalities and will have, I think, rights. And... So I think we're going to have sex bots before we have conscious sex bots. I also think, you know, even it's an interesting question, but even when they have a certain level of consciousness, you know, if something is designed to do something, it's hard to say that you're enslaving it by making it do it. I mean, bees, I, I think of the analogy of bees making honey, right? Um, bees make honey and sometimes we, you know, have them make honey for us, but Preventing a bee from making honey would be much more cruel than allowing a bee to make a honey. Honey, a bee wants to make honey, and you know I think that sex bots are being designed to have sex, and they're going to want to have sex. And so I think even if they reach the point of consciousness, it's going to be a long way before we should worry about them having sex. But I think at the very least, in the short term, 
what we're talking about are not conscious agents. What we're talking about is basically Siri with a body. And so that I don't, makes sense. And and these bodies are so realistic. They are. Now the one thing, so here's the one thing, I'm not a technology expert exactly. I'm certainly not an engineer, but I do know that the one thing it's very hard to get a robot to do is walk. So that is kind of where a lot of uh, researchers who are trying to design human-like robots are hung up is they can't get the things to walk. Now, luckily, walking isn't the absolute necessity you need from a sex robot. So you can create quite a realistic sex robot as long as you don't want it to walk around and, you know, make you breakfast in bed and do all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, we're, we're, uh, we're getting to the point because people have been saying, oh, this is 50 years away. This is 100 years away. It's not 50 years away. It's not 100 years away. It's, it's very, very close. And they're getting better all the time. Right. And as they get better, what that ultimately means is that they will become more affordable because most people aren't going to go buy a $15,000 sex robot. But you yeah. remember when those like hoverboards came out right. yeah. <laughs> and they were like $3,000. Yeah, and now unfortunately they're much cheaper. That's right. That happens with all technology as it gets mass produced and uh, as it gets more advanced, it, the price drops radically. I will say too that also, even though uh, sex bots may, for the foreseeable future, be a fairly uh, expensive buy, well, at the same time, you don't necessarily need to have it 24 hours a day. And there are already sex doll brothels in Japan and they uh, command, uh, you know, pretty impressive audiences. And so I think that, uh, I think, you know, once, once we are assured that the sanitation issues have been dealt with, I think people may find that, that they're willing to, uh, to rent a sex plot. Yeah, that makes a lot more sense because then when you have like your friends over, your in-laws over, she's <laughs> yes. not just sitting on the couch. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Well, and I say she because this seems to be a very hetero male centric market. Is that correct? Am I, am I missing something there? No, at the time. Well, so right now that's true. And so we, I mean, obviously, because they don't really exist right now, we don't have a lot of data, but we can sort of extrapolate based on the sex doll market. And so we know based on, in particular, I think the most, you'd say the most prominent company making sex dolls is the real doll company. And you know the the owner of Real Doll says that he does have female clients and he does have couples that come in, and does have you know gay and lesbian uh, clients. But uh, the uh, the vast majority is is right now a straight man. As as uh, social values change and as the technology advances, that may change too. But yes, I think for the for the foreseeable future, it is going to be a, a straight hetero, you know, cis male market. Right. Okay. So this, this was a little concerning to me. I was reading, reading that the latest robot is designed to be the ideal companion. And this is the description I read of the ideal uh -huh. female companion. Docile, submissive, yeah. built like a porn star, and yeah. always sexually available. And I was thinking, is this really what people want? Yeah, and I think when we talk about the concerns, I do. So here's one thing I will say too, by the way, is that given the state of uh, artificial intelligence uh, technology right now, it's a lot easier to design something that's sort of docile and agreeable because that's just, ah. a, simpler, that's just a simpler tech as well. But nevertheless, it is true that that also is going to be probably in the short term what people want. Um, and I think, I think that is a legitimate grounds for concern is that... Um, we are going to create a situation where 
where we're, we already have, I mean, let's be honest here. We already have a society where an awful lot of dudes uh, think that the ideal female companion is all those things. And so we're not creating that situation with sex bots, but it is true that we're fostering those kinds of attitudes potentially. And I think we should be worried about that. And I think that we should uh, be willing to think about that and possibly, you know, try to make sure that we're countering that sort of thing. I mean, I think that this isn't an issue that is created by sex bots. I don't think it's an issue that's going to be solved by sex bots. I think this mm. is a society-wide problem. I think that we should be doing uh, you know, sex education from an early age. I, I, I don't know if you agree with that, Jess, but um, no, <laughs> I know that you have very strong views about sex education and about the kind of education we should have around gender roles and so on. And I think those are all the right things to do. And I think we should do those whether there are sex bots in the world or not. But I think that sex bots uh, should remind us that this is a challenge we can never let slide. Right. So it's a reflection of gender roles. I mean, to me, that just blows my mind because I, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm docile or submissive or, or, you know, always sexually available. And I'm thinking, how am I going to fare out there? Again, <laughs> you know, I'm not suggesting that I'm competing with the sex bots, yeah. but I wonder if this is a very thin slice of the population who are currently purchasing these sex bots and that's what they're into as opposed to what the, the masses are into. Uh, I think I think that probably is true again in the short term. I think in the long term, we don't know. I think that in the long term, you're going to see, I mean, look, once upon a time, I'm old enough to remember when once upon a time, there was basically one kind of pornography. Uh, mm -hmm. There isn't one kind of pornography now. And, <laughs> I mean, there's certainly there's certainly a dominant kind of pornography. But at the same time, as the market has expanded, you see a lot more diversity. You see a lot more different kinds of things being introduced into the market. And I can hope that that's going to happen with sex bots as well. Okay, yeah, that, that makes sense to me. And, and from an ethical perspective, I, I was, I've been reading, you know, in preparation for this conversation, I was also reading about companion robots, which are not sex robots, yeah. that they're using in uh, Japan and elsewhere in nursing homes that bring comfort to people with dementia. So again, this isn't about sex, but about companionship. Yeah. So this AI technology must be really coming a long way. That's right. And that's right. When we talk about the technological advances around sex bots, obviously, it isn't just being developed for sex bots. This is part of a larger trend towards artificial intelligence, towards robotics, towards companionship. And I think, you know, if we wanted to move the conversation away from the challenges with sex bots, which I don't think we should ignore, but I think there's definitely, as you say, another side of the aisle. And I think when you start talking about the positives of sex bots, uh, you have to start looking at um, people who don't have access to companionship and don't have access to sex. I really get a little frustrated because, you know, we talk so much about inequality. We talk about economic inequality. We talk about healthcare inequality. We talk about educational inequality. We don't talk about um, inequality and in access to sex because there are a lot of people in the world who just do not find it easy to meet people, either because of their personalities, because of where they live geographically. I mean, if you're you know, a gay and lesbian person living in small town Alabama, you're gonna have trouble meeting. There's a podcast serial that talked about you know, how difficult it is being gay in that kind of situation. There's lots of people who are in prison, who are in mining camps. So there's lots of people in situations where they just simply can't meet people very easily. And I think we should be willing to say this is, this is a problem we should worry about. And sex bots are potentially, at least, they're not the ideal solution, but they're, they're a way of, of addressing it. 
Yeah, and not just the sex, but the human touch. I, I always think about, you know, the privilege I live with as a young woman, as a, you know, an attractive woman, as a, as a woman, as somebody with a partner, how much touch I have access to. And not even with my partner, with friends, I can hug so many people and not everybody has that privilege. And that has to do with gender and age and appearance and income and, um, you, know, you know, ability and my build and all of those things. That's so right. do you see, you know, sex bots as part of a solution to that, the challenge that exists? And, and again, I, I'm with you that we should be reframing, retooling our culture to be more loving, more inclusive, create greater access to these things that are universal human needs. But in, in the meantime, or as part of the solution, do you see sex bots as, as you know, essential to that? That's, that for me is the big sell. I think, that, I think that it's for people, the ability of sex bots to give some companionship and honestly some, you know, some pleasure to people who really struggle with that. And I think another big piece of this, this picture is people who have had trauma in their past. It is very difficult yeah. to have a relationship if you have a history of, of traumatic events. And having, you know, we say, oh, well, who would want a companion that you, you just can control and is totally docile and doesn't, isn't threatening to you in any way? Well, if you've had a, a history of trauma, either sexual or otherwise, having a companion that you can know is totally safe and can help you sort of have companionship and maybe transition to human companionship, I think that's incredibly important. You know, it's, it's interesting the sensitivity with which you address this issue, because I think most people kind of laugh it off. Like there's this judgment that exists with regard to, oh, it's just some lonely guy in his mom's basement. And there seems to be a lack of empathy when it comes to people who have difficulty dating, connecting, or having sex. Yeah, is this I, I, something you came across in your research? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's right. I think that I think that, and I think the image we have of like you know the the high libido dude who just who just needs a robot because they they can't get enough. I mean, maybe there's some of that, but yeah, I think I think we're going to see the market data pretty clearly when this comes out. The kinds of people who use this and the kinds of people who need this, and 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 I think that that's something that we absolutely should should view with compassion. And I think that. I think that there's there's the lonely people. There's also people I think who within relationships struggle with sexual incompatibility or mm -hmm. desired discrepancy, and I think that that also is something we should we should not laugh off and we should view with with some empathy. And I think that you know sex bots if they're introduced in a in a in a mutual you know if both partners are are, are understanding of what's going on, I think that sex bots can have can have a lot of a lot of uses within relationships for desire discrepancy. One partner wants sex more than the other. There may be partners who have kinks or who want things that the other person doesn't want. And again, you can just dismiss that as, oh, well, that's so weird. But um, you know, I think a lot of partners are under a lot of pressure to satisfy their partners in in ways that they don't want to do. And I think sex bots can really help resolve tensions in those kinds of relationships. That's really interesting. And I, I can see one day perhaps these sex bots being like a vibrator in that you know if we look a hundred years ago or even 50 years ago the stigma attached to sex toys you know you think about a lonely person and it's in their bedside and now we see that most couples are embracing so i think that uh if sex bots become affordable like that's that's the big barrier right now i would presume the stigma sure. but also the financial burden for sure 
uh, I could see it being something that people play with. It may not even be about overcoming a specific challenge, but about something that is simply a sexual you know, accoutrement in the bedroom, something else. Like I think about how many couples come to me with a threesome fantasy. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I think, again, when you say, well, isn't it terrible to have these, you know, the idea that, well, isn't it concerning that we have these, these personalities that are so docile and so on? Well, you know, within the context of a relationship, I'm not sure if my partner was going to have a sex bot, I don't think it would bother me. But at the same time, I'm not sure I would want that sex bot to be more interesting than me and more intelligent than me. <laughs> I might prefer someone who is pretty low key. What about their skills? What are their skills? <laughs> Well, you know, uh, right now the technology is under development. So I think that we can only sort of use our imaginations. Um, but here's what I would say. I would say that I think that these have, we can, we, we can ultimately probably program them to do anything we ourselves can imagine and probably physically they'll be capable of things we can't do. So I think that they will have, it will, you know, it will add to the fun of it all that they can do all kinds of things. They never get tired. Um, I think too, um, I mean, we worry so much about sex education. Again, I think it's wonderful all the work that you've done, Jess, on, around sex education. But um, I think these could be a tool for educating people and especially younger people because we worry, oh, they're all watching porn and they're getting, you know, a terrible view of what sex involves. Well, if you can program a robot to actually, you know, educate somebody in a way that is responsible and, um, and useful, then, you know, I think this could be incredibly, incredibly great. That's, re that's really, really interesting. You know, you're bringing up issues of, of compassion and empathy and education that I hadn't considered. I guess I just, you know, of course, on the surface, you see sex bots as something amusing and entertaining. And I think about, oh, so they're going to be able to do something I can't do. My goodness, when I want like a Thursday night off, I'll be like, babe, just go to the sex bot. Well, yeah. Nate, well, you know, she'll obviously or he will have a name. Uh, so this is definitely interesting. And what would you like to see? for the future of sex bots. What comes to mind first for me, and I like the analogy you drew to porn, is that I'd love to see more diversity yeah. of bodies and functions and personalities, but you probably have some interesting thoughts in terms of the tech and the function. Yeah, I, I, again, I'm not an engineer. I think that diversity is definitely important. I think that, and I think that we're, we're not just talking about human diversity here in terms of, uh, in terms of you know race, I think it's, it'll be important to have different racial categories, different body types, all those things. But who knows? People may come up with some fairly wild sort of shapes and sizes of things that they they want. One of the things I ask my students is, if you were going to have a sex bot, would you want it to look like a human being, or would you just want it to look like a straight up robot in some kind of cool way? And you know, a lot of people say, yeah, they wouldn't mind having a sex bot that looks like a, a robot. That's you know, I don't know if you imagine R two D two or God knows what, but um, <laughs> you know, there's all kinds of wild configurations that we can imagine. Which I mean, why not? Um, so, and I think that uh, I definitely would like to see the tech go in a female-centric direction. I mean, I think that you've, what you've seen in the last 10 years in the sex toy industry, uh -huh. in that industry really sort of saying, wait a second, you know, women don't just need, you know, a vibrating dildo, that, that we can do all kinds of interesting things around, you know, vibrating fingertip attachments and all kinds of things that make sex really much more satisfying for women. And I think that um, if, you, if you extend that research into the robotics field, I think that uh, I think you could see that women find that there's robots that can do all kinds of things that that really are able to focus on their pleasure and 
in a way that you know, unfortunately male partners aren't always that great at. That's, that's certainly interesting. And certainly women are the you know, primary force behind growth in the adult toy novelty industry. And we don't necessarily buy dildos or sex toys that look like phalluses or that are anatomically correct. So I, again, I didn't even think of that because the first sex robot I saw was at AVN a few years ago. And I was able to put my fingers inside of her vagina and her anus and her mouth. And it's awfully human-like. Yeah. Yeah. And again, that is, that is a development that has, um, you know, that's sort of an offshoot of developments you've seen within the sex toy industry that uh, the materials they're using. Cause I think here's what I would say. I think that the development of sex robots depends on two things. One, it depends on developments in artificial intelligence kind of reaching the point where they can move around and, and interact a little bit, but then it just depends on development of you know realistic materials because 20 years ago that's right you couldn't design a flashlight you couldn't have these things that in any way simulated uh human material whatever you want to call it human flesh uh, but now we're getting much better at that we see sex toys that are much more able to emulate human bodies and so that's all going to be deployed by sex bots this is really fascinating to me and honestly you, you fleshed out some some areas that I don't think I had considered until you took us in that direction. So thank you so much, Neil. We have to wrap it up. Where can people find you and find your new books? Well, my new book, uh, if you, yeah, Robot Sex, it's called. If you look up Neil MacArthur oh. Robot Sex on Amazon, you can pre-order. It'll be out. It's not out till September, but uh, I would love it if people pre-ordered it. I do have a website that uh, they, can, they can find all my research listed. Okay, excellent. We'll put a link to the book. Sorry. We'll put a link to the book and uh, your Amazon page. Obviously, they can find you through your Amazon page and, as well. And my Twitter handle. Sorry, I should give my Twitter handle. That's maybe the easiest thing. Is moral lust. To us. Oh, okay, excellent. This is really interesting stuff, Neil. Thanks so much for being with us today. Well, that was really great, Jess. Thanks so much. Thank you. Folks, make sure you follow Neil. I certainly did a lot of learning here, and I'm what I'm thinking about now. Maybe I have to have Neil back to help. Uh, dig a little deeper, but how do those of us who maybe won't buy a sex robot, how do we benefit from the technology? And I can imagine that some of the technological advancements from the sex bot and robotics field will be passed along to, you know, the simple field of, of vibrators and sex toys. So I'm certainly looking forward to what's to come. Folks, that's all the time we have. Make sure you're following Neil and follow me at Sex with Dr. Jess. Thank you so much, as always, to Desire Resorts. I'm coming for you soon. And if you guys have questions or comments, be sure to get in touch. We do our best to get back to every single one of you. And the easiest way to reach us is on Facebook or Twitter at Sex with Dr. Jess. Thanks so much. You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Improve your sex life. Improve your life.